Hi, everyone. My name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. So good to be with you. And our title is Go Back to Go Forward. Go Back to Go Forward. It's part three of this uh, series we're doing on emotionally healthy uh, spirituality. Uh, Now, I'm doing this because we've just launched a brand new refresh of the EH Discipleship course, part one and two. Uh, The materials out of five, six years of work. It's incredibly exciting. A new workbook, revisions, videos that are free and redone and downloadable, at least streaming videos. And EH Spirituality um, is actually the framework, the core framework uh, of the entire course coming out of the EH Spirituality book and, and workbook. And I've never actually addressed it in a systematic way before in this podcast. And in some ways, are, it can be summarized that there's four core essentials of all emotionally healthy discipleship. It's about one, slowing down to be with Jesus and all that that involves, silence, solitude, etc. Versus slowing down. Secondly is go back to go forward, our theme for today. Uh, thirdly is learning skills to love well. And fourthly, it's practicing Sabbath rhythms. But today we're going to focus on go back to go forward, really a very large theme. And again, my goal is only briefly briefly review what's found in the books and the course, but I want to supplement and build it out a bit as it applies in particular to leadership. So there's a three-part framework uh, for going back to go forward. And uh, let me just give a very brief summary here. First is that the blessings and sins of our families go back three to four generations, and this profoundly affects who we are today. And so when the Bible speaks of family, it refers to our extended family going back three to four generations. That means that when, in the biblical sense, when we refer to families, we're talking about going back to the late 1800s. And, and the principle is that what happens in one generation tends to be repeated, often is repeated in the next. And the consequences of actions and decisions taken in one generation affect those that follow. And we see this in scripture. We see this in the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, We see it in a number of texts, like in Exodus 34, when Moses asks to see God's glory and God reveals himself as the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. And then he closes that little phrase in Exodus 34, and God says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And that Hebrew word punished is best translated, tends to be repeated. In other words, What happens in one generation often, not always, repeats itself in the next. And we see this in families. Everything from addictive behaviors to patterns of abuse to poor marriages, mistrust of authority, divorces, affairs, unresolved conflicts, racism, sexism, poor ability to emotionally connect, etc., uh, it's often, it was called in, uh, mul- the multi-generational transmission process by Murray Bowen, the founder of family systems theory, uh, and that what happens in one generation, it's multi-generational transmission process. A Harvard professor many years ago did a, a large study on the multi-generational transmission uh, of trauma, uh, in particular with Holocaust victims, and found that uh, the qualities of trauma found in those who were actually in the Holocaust, how they were passed on to the children because the, the parents did not do their work uh, in their own internal work. They passed on certain qualities of that trauma to their children who then passed it on to their children. 
uh, it was a fascinating study, and the same, of course, could be uh, uh, applied to slavery uh, over the hundreds of years in the United States, as well as uh, the story of Native Americans. And those of you who are listening from various countries around the world, you can apply it to some of your nation's history and foundings. But let's go from wide to narrow, which is referring to your family, because uh, Jerry and I can see it in our own families, uh, our grandparents, our parents, our generation with of our siblings, and then our nieces and nephews, some who now as well have children. So we can see four or five generations and same, same patterns for those who have not done inner work uh, to break some unhealthy patterns, just the same patterns being transmitted over four to five generations. We actually can see it with our own eyes. So again, that first part of the discipleship framework is that the blessings and sins of our families are passed on from generation to generation. They, they impact who we are today. But the second key to the framework, uh, theologically, is that when we come to Christ, we uh, are birthed into a new family. Uh, that is the new family of Jesus. And when we place our faith in Christ, we're reborn by the Holy Spirit into this family of Jesus, and our identity is no longer our biological family, but the actual blood of Jesus. It's a radical new beginning. God's very life and the person of the Holy Spirit resides in us now, and we receive a new heart, a new nature, a new spirit. We're adopted. God's our Father. We've got these new brothers and sisters from all over the world. We've got a new name, uh, Christian, which now informs who we are. And now the third part of this discipleship framework is that discipleship is putting off the sinful patterns of our family of origin and our culture and learning how to do life in Jesus's family. So the great news of the gospel is that our biological family of origin no longer determines our destiny or our future, but now we've come to Christ and it's the blood of Jesus that informs who we are. And so becoming a Christian is we are adopted into this new family of God. Our debts have been cleared. They've been canceled. Our sins are gone. We've got a radical new beginning. We got a, a new name, a new inheritance, a new hope, a new glory, new resources, uh, and new brothers and sisters. And so therefore, uh, we honor our parents, our cultures, our histories, but we obey God. And that's why Jesus said repeatedly, anyone who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And so this famous phrase that we uh, talk about a lot, which you've heard on this podcast before, is that Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa is in your bones. Uh, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. And that discipleship is basically getting Jesus into your bones to deeply transform you, that you actually live as a member of Jesus's family. But the principle is we can't change what we're unaware of. And so in my case, for example, uh, my first 17 years as a Christian, I completely buried uh, my past. I didn't go back to go forward. I didn't go back at all. Was, I, I just I wanted to go forward in Jesus, but the result was very shallow transformation. Uh, and so uh, I, I didn't see how my history, and uh, which was difficult, traumatic, with abuse, etc. I overfunctioned. I was trying to keep everybody happy. I was doing for others what they should and could do for themselves. I overpastured people. I didn't resolve conflict. I resolved it very poorly. Uh, my understanding of marriage and gender roles uh, was, again, very much informed by my macho Italian-American culture, even though uh, I preached uh, Ephesians 5 and was fully egalitarian in my own theology, but I lived schizaro. I, I, I preached grace, but I lived law because in my family there was a perfectionism and a, 
uh, wasn't a lot of grace for mistakes. Uh, I didn't let myself feel. Uh, my my understanding as a my birth order was I existed to keep everybody else happy. Uh, so I was over responsible. And there was a real message in my family that you worked and your identity was in your work and you don't have a right to enjoy your life, uh, do some things like self-care because your worth and value are based on what you do, not who you are. And because of a lot of authority figures in my growing up, my parents and others, uh, there was a real sense of abandonment, emotional abandonment. And so when people would leave our church, uh, it would just take a chunk of flesh out of me. It touched something deep in me. And uh, sadly, I was like so many others uh, who around me, which is I was not doing things fundamentally different uh, from how my family did them, at least underneath the surface. It was it was a very shallow discipleship. And I, I love what that philosopher George Santana said many years ago, that those who cannot learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. Now, freedom in Jesus requires going back to go forward. And this process takes us into the heart of discipleship. Uh, at least discipleship of the new family of Jesus. I, I love what the neuroscientist Dan Siegel said many years ago. He said, if parents make sense of their story, I refer, he was referring in particular to the flaws and the gaps and the losses. If parents make sense of their story, it can totally change the outcome of the next generation. Uh, if parents can make sense of their story, it can totally change the outcome of the next generation. But people are resistant uh, as some of you may know, to going back uh, because, you know, we don't want our folks mistakenly believe that the love and pain uh, of the present, uh, they don't think it's related to the love and pain of the past. Uh, they think, okay, I got a present issue, maybe with addiction, or I don't do, I'm not very good at emotions, or I avoid conflict. Uh, but they don't want to believe that the fact that that's actually related to the past. Uh, people are also resistant to going back because they... They mistakenly believe it's going to involve more pain, not less pain. What they don't understand is that, no, no, it's much less pain uh, than more pain. Uh, they also don't understand that a lack of emotional health uh, and maturity is as damaging as smoking or obesity. In other words, we know our family's medical history, but we don't know our family's emotional history and its impact. Lots of research has been done on this, which I will not go into right here. Uh and people are also resistant going to go. People are also resistant to going back because they're not conscious of quote bad memories. So the attitude is, why go back? I barely remember anything. Uh, doesn't mean they're not embedded in your body. Uh, and then finally, people don't want to go back because there's this unspoken rule that we don't want to talk bad about our families. Of course, we don't. Uh, but the truth sets us free. And 99% uh, of our parents did better than their parents. Uh, but uh, we all grow and we're born into sinful families. So we talk about going back to go forward in this core essential theology or uh, principle of EH discipleship. It's really like a floodlight, a spotlight being placed on your family experience uh, that does impact how you give and receive love and freeing you from it so that you might become the person God's called you to be. So with all that said, as a nice broad introduction, let's let's dive into what, what are some what are some specific leadership applications. So I'm going to give you four here uh, to think about as you go forward. The first is that leadership requires that we continually go back to go forward first. Now, in other words, we as leaders are constantly going back to go forward 
uh, first, and then we lead others into the same process. In other words, the effect on you uh, from your family of origin, your history, is way deeper and more profound than you realize. You and I are coming out of hundreds of years of slavery, much like the Israelites out of Egypt. Jesus really is in your heart, but Grandpa really is in your bones. I mean, Jerry and I do genograms uh, of pastors and leaders all the time, you know, one-on-one, uh, and uh, looking at their family history and helping them kind of shed light on it and all the implications for, for pastors' personal lives and their leadership. And inevitably, I would say in every case, it's always widely illuminating uh, for the people involved, the pastors and leaders who are laying their genogram before us because of the wide and deep implications uh, of their history, of their past, on their present. And uh, it's something we never stop doing. So this affects every area of life. So whether things like getting validation from social media, how many likes I've got, or how I'm defining success in this post-COVID or COVID world, uh, how I'm dealing with money issues and issues of security, uh, how I'm dealing with anxiety and the stress of our present uh, environment in which we're living in. Uh, I I often talk about two major uh, present-day go-back-to-go-forward issues for me uh, this season of my life. Uh, The first has to do with parenting adult daughters, and uh, two of which have their own families. And their age is 27 to 35. And the whole issue of power. Uh, when they were small children, I had a lot of power in the relationship. But that power decreased as they grew older. And now we're more peer-to-peer. Uh, I try not to give advice unless asked. Don't always succeed. But when we age, eventually our children will become our parents. And they will make decisions for us. And But it's a difficult and important discipleship issue because... Uh, that transition to become a peer with my adult children is one that is rarely made developmentally by folks, but it's a real discipleship issue. Uh, I mentor and I give counsel as I'm asked, but I don't intrude on the boundaries uh, that really God has set up as they now have their own separate families and in two cases have bonded with another, uh, with a spouse with whom they're one flesh. And we've launched them into the world, all four of them actually, uh, as they make their mark and become in the people whom God's called it to become. But it's a real power issue. And then the second large issue for me, which I continually deal with, is just aging and growing older. Uh, and I began wrestling with this in, you know, probably 10 years ago when I transitioned out of New Life Fellowship Church as the lead pastor. And so I did mentoring, et cetera. But just even seeing a transition as a retirement I, never, I didn't retire at 56. I simply transitioned to another role in serving Jesus. Uh, but even now as I age in my 60s, and um, what does it mean to grow older? And uh, I mean, that is just a continual work for me. I mean, I was reading and studying Romans chapter 4 on Abraham, who is the father of us all. It's said five times in, in uh, Romans 4. He is the father of us all. In other words, uh, he's our father. He went before us. Well, Abraham... Uh, was 75 when God called him uh, to leave and go to Canaan. Romans, I mean, Genesis chapter 12. And uh, he launches out and at 120, he's learning new things as he's sacrificing Isaac. I mean, it's an incredible journey. And I say, well, that's a very different genogram. If my genogram is Abraham's genogram and everything that happened in his life in some ways is going to happen to my own, 
uh, aging looks very different. Uh, as he's just getting started in some ways at 75. Uh, but I hear these negative voices that come out of my own uh, family history of things like, you don't know what you're doing. Who wants to listen to you doing a podcast at your age? Come on, Pete, get with it. You? And uh, I, I have to step over those voices and uh, grow older in the new family of Jesus uh, and looking at people like Abraham, uh, who's gone before me, uh, as the informative uh, voice of what I do and how I function and how I see myself at this age. I think of Moses at age 80, obviously, starting to lead two to three million people out of slavery. Uh, I mean, it's amazing, amazing. All right, but let me move on to number two. So we go first, and we always go first. We're always doing that kind of work. Uh, but the second real application here is that we need to redefine leadership uh, as we're equipping people. Uh, we equip people on how do you live in this new family of Jesus. That they, they too are going back to go forward. We're helping them go forward in Jesus by looking back at the things that are crippling them and hurting them from moving forward. We are, this is the deep work of discipleship. This is the serious work of discipleship. Jesus had to redo the whole 12 disciples and the way they understood life, discipleship, God. Uh, we are reparenting people is the word I like to use. So that's why in the course, for example, we invite people to look at the Ten Commandments of their family of origin. It's a great exercise in the workbooks. You know, how'd your family do success and anger and feelings? Uh, you know, I started writing down, people have secular scriptures, in a sense, that come out of their families. They're, they're filled with oughts and shoulds and musts. But everybody we're leading, they have these kind of secular Ten Commandments or secular scriptures, and they carry this divine weight. I'm going to, I wrote down 15 here as I was preparing for our podcast. For example, people carry commandments like this, thou shalt not upset people or hurt their feelings. Thou shalt judge thyself harshly. Thou shalt be guided by fear. Thou shalt not let things come too easily. Thou shalt not have a happy, delightful life, for that would be sinful. Thou shalt not be vulnerable. Thou shalt always say yes to other people's needs. Thou shalt not trust people. Thou shalt get it right all the time and not make mistakes. Thou shalt avoid conflict because it is dangerous and bad. Thou shalt remember that you are not good enough. Thou shalt not feel what you feel. Thou shalt not feel what you feel. Thou shalt not have fun. Thou shalt not ask questions. That's just 14. And so we, we hang in there with people that were discipling, many of whom carry a lifetime of internalized shame, a sense that God finds them a disappointment, a failure, a, a, a disgrace perhaps, uh, so many folks have a deep thing, and I, I know I did in my bloodstream, of just disapproval, just general cloud of disapproval from God, kind of as a voice of shape up or ship out. Those secular commandments, or the secular scriptures that many folks are carrying in their bones, uh, our role is to help them be now shaped in Jesus by the Holy Spirit, to let scripture actually now become their new internal commandments. Like, hey, you are lovable. 
Uh, it is good that you exist. You are good enough just the way you are. God loves you. You are a joy. Your needs are a delight. You've got nothing left to prove. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You stand before God completely loved. You are allowed to make mistakes. I, I, I love this one Jesuit's phrase, Anthony DeMello, behold the one beholding you and smiling. That God sees you and he smiles. Ah, oh, we can go on. But this going back to go forward uh, in part one and part two of EH Discipleship Course, that's why, that's why we, we, we come at it from different angles uh, almost every week. In fact, in, in part two of the course, people do a full genogram. It's one of the key ways we get at it. Uh, in fact, if you're truly ready to get into this uh, for yourself, there's a two-hour exercise uh, where I, I, uh, you can be you can do a genogram. Uh, it's free. You go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. Uh, I did it for leaders and staff teams. Uh, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. And just, just you can download the, the video. You can watch it, some handouts, and do it. Uh, it's a great way to dive into it. Or perhaps you just want to construct what's been called a nodal history, N-O-D-A-L, a node or bumps. And that is you look at a history of significant events in your life and how they've impacted you. Things like births and moves and deaths and illnesses and divorces and hospitalizations perhaps and job changes or earthquake events. Basically, what was it like to grow up in your family and how did it impact you? It's a very simple thing to do, but it just gets you started. You know, how'd your family deal with uh, growing up with anxiety or stress? Uh, how'd they do emotions and sadness and losses and attachments, relationships? How were you comforted as a child when you experienced distress or were embarrassed or hurt? Uh, how safe did you feel in your home or unsafe? And what did you do to, what did you do to protect yourself? I, I, Vivek Murphy is the present U.S. Surgeon General. And he said this, uh, in one of his interviews, I, I was at a well-known university and I asked an audience of 400 faculty and students the following question. How many of you look at emotions as a source of weakness versus a source of power? And nearly every hand went up. And Vivek Murthy said, this is the paradigm we have to flip in this country. In other words, people need to be discipled in uh, how, to, how to connect emotionally, how to integrate emotions into their spirituality. Uh, I, you know, in 2018, the United Kingdom appointed a minister of loneliness. I mean, that's a global epidemic. Uh, and again, we are equipping people in relationships in this new family of Jesus. A third leadership application is that we in a sense, embody, we carry this message, affirming that God's purpose uh, and God intends every life and every person to be a blessing to the world. We affirm this good plan of God for every single human being who's unrepeatable. They have a unique story. You know, it's interesting in John 21, when uh, you know, after Peter has denied Christ three times, uh, Jesus comes to him and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. It's a very intense conversation. Peter's anxious. He's hurt. He's stressed. He's walking in shame. And he and uh, he says, of course, you know, I love you. Jesus, feed my sheep. But then Jesus offers a direct challenge. He goes, you know, 
you know, not just feed my sheep, but he says, uh, I'm sorry, then he, Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then Peter triangles, it's called, and he looks over to John the apostle and says, what about him? It's called triangling. He goes to a third party. And, and Jesus says, you follow me. Uh, and he calls Peter to differentiation. Last week's podcast, he, he calls him to be his unique life, that God's got a call for him to be a blessing to the world. And for him, it's going to involve being crucified upside down. Uh, but we affirm to people, we offer hope to people, we, we hold something out to the world that uh, of the invisibility of God in human affairs, that, that he's alive, that everybody's life, up to the point that we encounter them, uh, God has been in there somewhere. And now we offer to people a, a new beginning, the wonder and awe that God's been working, uh, even through sometimes horror, that there's treasures in darkness, God wastes nothing, and that the living God even moves amidst tra- tragedy. And we basically re- we, we reframe people's lives for them according to Scripture, uh, according to God, and uh, that God works in, through, and in spite of people's families and past, the negative stuff. And, uh, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, you know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And we hold out that story of Joseph uh, from X, from Genesis 39 to 50, where, you know, Joseph says, you intended to harm me to his brothers, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done now for the saving of many lives. And that's the entire lesson of Genesis and of all scripture, you intended it for evil, but God planned it for good. That God's purposes are at work in people's lives in hidden ways and mysterious ways, uh, that God's sovereignty and blessings can be found in those things. And and uh, so we, we call people like that. And then finally, the, the final leadership application I want to just touch on here is that uh, every church and every movement or parachurch movement or movement you might be involved in, Every, everything's got a positive and a le- negative legacy that must be named and tamed. Uh, that every church and movement has a positive and negative legacy that must be named and tamed. Uh, in the Emotionally Discipleship book, I talk about an example of a certain denomination or movement, their positive and negative legacies. But, but that it's a very important that we, one, of course, appreciate the positive legacies uh, that launched a particular move of God, a parachurch, a church, uh, those seeds from God, they need to be nurtured and uh, and watered. At the same time, we, we've got to look at the uh, often generational negative legacies that continue to hold us back as corporately, from as communities, as denominations, to the beautiful, glorious things God has from us. And that requires, again, the hard work of discipleship corporately and addressing uh, shadows that we may carry institutionally or organizationally, um, and they've got to be named and tamed. All right, so listen, going back to go forward, let me close with just two things here. The first is, let me invite you, if you've, if you've not taken the what we call our personal assessment, uh, am I an emotional infant, child, adolescent, or adult? This is grown-up stuff we're talking about here, going back to go forward. And uh, I want to invite you to check out uh, this assessment at emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. It's about a 15-minute assessment, one of which is go back to go forward. And how, how much progress have I made in this? Uh, am I an infant, child, adolescent, or adult? Again, emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. For some of you, that's your next first step. Take that little assessment. It's on our website. 
uh, and it's free, and it's a good assessment, hopefully, to get you motivated and moving forward. Uh, the second thing I want to just I want to close with is in this my favorite Hasidic tale uh, that illumines our tendency to want to live out somebody else's life, uh, often out of fear, uh, often out of a uh, not looking at our not really appreciating our unrepeatable story or even embracing our own limits. And it's from Rabbi Susia when he was an old man said this, in the coming world, God will not ask me, why were you not Moses? He will ask, why were you not Susia? Why did you, why did you not live out your unique, unrepeatable life? Uh, what Kierkegaard said is the will to be oneself. And the same way you've been given a unique, unrepeatable life that is been created by God to be a blessing and a gift to the world, to everyone around you. Uh, but that requires going on a journey, an adventure with God that can feel at times like it's leading you through the valley of the shadow of death. But I can assure you, as you go in that valley, Jesus is waiting for you there. I sure found that. And there is a resurrection and life on the other side. And we don't have anybody else like you. Uh, we don't need you to be like other leaders and pastors, folks with their callings in their life. We need you to be you. And uh, that is your gift. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may God grant you the courage to really step out and go on this journey of going back to go forward. Uh, and may this get so cemented in you that you not only free yourself, but you actually free everyone around you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. <laughs>